Thank you for pressing start on episode 11 of Underplayed, KZUM's indie video game podcast. Today we recap and reflect on the games of season one and take a look ahead by planning our featured game roster for season two. I'm Bopo. Joining me, as always, my player two, Disco Cola. Hey, bud. This is going to be uh, a long one. I'm excited to talk to you about season two, though. Yes, this is a two-parter for episode 11. We have just completed 10 episodes of Underplayed over the past several months. It's been a journey. We've played a collective 31 games. Yeah, dude. Uh, across all of the 10 episodes. And now we are meeting here for episode 11 uh, to kind of put a milestone stake in the ground, (laughs) look back at everything we've played so far. And this is meant to just kind of be a, an informal, messy, unprofessional discussion about what we really enjoyed from season one. Uh, We'll recap our ratings. We'll give some awards. And then part two of this episode, we'll be looking ahead to season two and planning out what featured games we want to play. Yeah. Uh, So that'll be really fun. We have a whole queue of games that we need to vet out. So it will be a very um, interesting discussion as we work through that list, figure out what is even appropriate to play uh, as a featured game, and then pick what games and what order we want to play them. So uh, that'll be uh, the last roughly half of this episode, maybe not sure how long each section will go. Um, but, uh, yeah, we're glad listeners that you can hang out with us while you, uh, while we kind of celebrate what we've played here at the start. So for our season one recap and reflection, that, that's what I've chosen to call this, this first part. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if there's a, a fancier name, if you had an idea. It's a, it's a S R one ampersand R it's a, it's the name of a Metroid planet. That's who cares. It's, I, I have no idea. We'll just call it season one <laughs> recap and reflection uh, for now. Um, but what we're going to do first, at a very superficial level, I want to recap our ratings that we gave to our secret games. So listeners, if this is your first time listening to an episode by chance, this might not be the f- best first episode to listen to, but um, how our show runs is each episode, we each pick a different secret indie game to play and we play those in private we don't tell each other what we're playing and we prepare for our next episodes by playing those secret games then coming and revealing to each other during our recording what we played it's entirely a surprise to each other and then we review what we played Uh, that is usually followed up by a featured review of a game that we both agree to play ahead of time so i want to run through those secret games we did for season one disco cola could you run through your secret games in sequential order and then what you rated each one? Could yes. You do that? Okay. Real so uh, for episode one, I played Forma 8. I gave that a 7.5. Episode two was Later Alligator with a 9. Episode three, Machinarium with an 8. Episode four, The Mummy Demastered with an 8.5. Uh, episode five, The Big Con with a 7.5. Episode 6, Transistor, with an 8.5. Episode 7, House, with an 8. Episode 8, Fury, with an 8.5. Episode 9, Last Day of June, with an 8. And Episode 10, also with an 8, Time Spinner. 
My Secret Games for season one. Uh, episode one, Virginia, I rated it a six. Episode two, Art School, I rated it a 1.5. Episode three, Maquette, I rated it a 7.5. Episode four, Hawa, I rated it a 5.5. Episode five, Jazz Punk, I rated it an eight. Episode six, Super One More Jump, I rated it an eight. Episode seven, Sky, Children of the Light, I rated it a 4.5. Episode eight, The Gardens Between, I rated it an eight. Episode nine, Balthazar's Dream, I rated it a three. And episode 10, Ape Out, I rated it an eight. Uh, So now that we've recapped all those uh, secret games of all different subgenres within the indie umbrella, uh, I want to see if you have any score observations. Uh, What you notice about these scores, maybe any regrets you have about scores you gave to your own secret games. Do you have any of those? Uh, Yeah. Well, I was looking through this uh, ahead of the recording, and I noticed that a lot of my scores are kind of samey, which, you know, I knew would always probably be the case anyways. Um, So I guess if I had regrets, especially compared to like some of the scores you've given, is that maybe I need to be a little bit more critical. I think I I try to be, and and you've used the word forgiving, and I think that's um, true. Uh, just because like, oh, I've never made a game before, you know, I don't know what goes into it. And I still, I still had fun with all of these games to some degree, but the, the scores that are a little bit lower definitely reflect, um, how I feel about those ones in relation to everything else. So I guess I would, if I could go back, maybe form eight would be scored a little bit lower and I might score, um, mummy demastered and last day of June, maybe like half a score higher because those two in particular stand out a little bit more in my mind. Yeah. I remember you saying last day of June made you kind of tear up by the end. Absolutely. Yeah. Like anytime a game can make you feel that way, that's really powerful. Yeah. I think that, that, that game and like, um, outer wilds, especially like those endings, I still think about them. Cool. Yeah. Some of these have had lasting effects on, you know, our memories, how games will occupy our minds differently over time. And we just don't know that in the moment when we're scoring them always. I think that you're appropriately, pointing out criticisms. I think it's just that when it comes to the scoring, I think it's just that the score maybe is more generous, but Mm -hmm. I think you do a fair job of pointing out your praises and your criticisms. So I've noticed that in all of our secret games segments is that we both do a good job of doing that. Um, I did notice, I, I calculated some averages for us for our secret games. Your average rating is an 8.15, and it does a weird decimal because that's what happens when you do an average with all these. Um, My average rating is a six. So mine's like (laughs) over two uh, points below yours. And I think that's just because um, I picked a few games that were really experimental that I guess I just just weren't the right thing for me. Mm -hmm. Um, But then also some games that just gave me some problems, um, games that just I think didn't live up to the promise of what they could have been. So I think I don't know that I would adjust a lot of these scores too much. Um, looking back over mine, the highest score I gave anything was an eight. And I actually gave an eight out four different times. Okay. Yeah. Um, but an eight for me is a really, really great game. And I think it's a really, really great game to you too. I think as you get to the higher end of the scale, the eights to nines to tens, I think we're both in alignment on like how much 
those scores reflect how much we care about the games. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I had such a wild range. I don't know that I'll rate another game something as low as a 1.5 anytime soon, <laughs> or maybe even a three. Well, and, and you played some games that had some like pretty severe performance issues like i had brokenness you, in a yeah. lot of my games like um i had i struggled with the big con where certain things just like didn't spawn but i i guess i i didn't downgrade the score too much for that and yeah. maybe i should have yeah and i don't want to trash any one game that much in this segment but there was one game that technically just did not perform in a way that was functional there was one game that i had to play on technically three different systems in the PlayStation ecosystem to get the platinum trophy, you know, cause I like to chase, we both like to chase the trophies in these games, um, you know, or whatever achievement uh, system we have, but primarily PlayStation trophies. And there was one that just gave me so many issues. I had to play it. Um, it's a shorter game. So this might sound like a lot, but it, it wasn't as, as severe as other games, but I had to play it like two full times through and then do like five partial playthroughs just to pop all the trophies because they're glitched. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of those kinds of things, some of the games I played had, um, you know, like issues with the interface, like uh, the the pause menu was not functional or um, just lacking in a, amount of options, those kinds of things. So um, yeah, it was interesting to see like, the wide range that I had and then like the pretty close range that you had. But um, at the end of the day, I think we both played some games we really liked for secret games. Um, any other observations about secret games? No, I think that's that's it. Uh, there's a I've never played so many games in my life. I think if you if you <laughs> in, took in such a short time. Yeah, yeah, I think if you took 2017 through 2019, I played probably the same amount of games that I played in the last couple months. Right. And that <laughs> probably has a large, uh, a lot, a lot of that has to do with just other things that have happened in your life in the last few years, just how busy you are. Right. But just also just like this, having the motivation to try so many new things yeah. for a purpose. Yes. You know. And, and like having the biweekly recording schedules, um, has really kicked things into gear. And like, I think doing this was always probably possible in my schedule. I just, again, didn't have that thing motivating me to do it. So um, we can now recap our featured games and what we rated them. So I can just quickly run through all of these. The way we did season one was a little bit, well, the way we kicked it off was a little bit different than what we'll do for successive seasons. So episode one actually had two featured games. Mm -hmm. Um, We had two games that were cooperative in nature. And the two games are by Hazelight Studios, A Way Out and It Takes Two. Those were our two featured reviews for episode one. It was really interesting to um, not only play both of them, but also compare and contrast them in our recording. And uh, new listeners to the program might be curious as to why we picked an EA published uh, set of games for you know an indie video game podcast. But I think um, these two games represent an effort by EA to publish indie-like games, and they're definitely developed by smaller teams. And the nature of them, especially It Takes Two, being as cooperative as it is, I think it was just such a fitting set of two games to um, pick to start us off. So I'm still really glad we picked those, but uh, listeners, if you've been curious as to why um, we picked two seemingly non-indie titles, those are kind of our defenses for why. But I think 
all of the games we picked after that for featured games are very much arguably indie in some way, either in the uh, size of the teams that developed them or their budgets or you know what have you. So episode one, we had A Way Out, which you rated a six, I rated a five. We also had It Takes Two, you rated it a nine, I rated it an 8.5. Episode two, our featured game was Night in the Woods. We both rated it a 7.5. Episode three was Manifold Garden. We both rated it a seven. Episode four was Axiom Verge. You rated it a seven. I rated it a 5.5. Episode five was Bug Snacks. You rated it an 8.5. I rated it an eight. Episode six was Hades. You rated it a 9.5. I rated it a nine. Episode seven, Carrion. You rated it 9.5. I rated it 7.5. Episode eight, Hyperlight Drifter. You rated it our first 10. I rated it a nine. Episode nine, Before Your Eyes. You rated it a seven. I rated it an 8.5. Episode 10, Outer Wilds. You rated it an 8.5. I rated it a nine. So a lot of scores to take in there. What do you uh, what do you notice about the scores here for featured games? Any, um, any regrets? I I do have regrets. I think uh, these scores reflect a little bit more um, critical opinions, at least from me, because uh, you you see a bigger variety of of scoring here. Um, I guess that if I had some regrets, I would say that I was a little bit too critical of Before Your Eyes. Um, I guess in the recording that we did for that episode, I didn't really express really how many times I had to recalibrate my blinks, um, especially in like moments where the game asks you to keep your eyes closed. Hmm. So I was sitting there trusting that the game was progressing, but not knowing because my my eyes were closed. Yeah. And so um, that really took me out of some, some really critical moments. Um, so maybe if I didn't have those speed bumps, I might've, uh, rated it a little bit higher. I don't think I, I still don't think I would change my score for it. Um, do you think the, the, what you, the positive stuff you got out of that game, the powerful emotions you got out of that game, have those outlasted your minor frustrations with some of the, you know, using the webcam and stuff? I, I don't think I can say that because a lot, I, I got taken out of a lot of those moments in the middle of those moments because of my my frustrations with the technology and how they mm. they were holding me back a little bit. Mm. So um for before your eyes, I actually kind of regret not talking about some of the aspects about that game that astounded me actually. Mm-hmm. I I think I could have given that game more praises in our review. Don't know that I would change my score, but uh um I do regret not expounding on that game as much as I wanted to um in our original recording. Yeah. So. Um, other than that, uh, let's see, maybe I was also a little bit too critical on Night in the Woods. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't remember like what was holding me back other than just really disliking a couple of characters. Um, and, uh, Axiom Verge, I, I think I was a little bit too generous with that. Um, yeah. Interesting. Well, I think about it. And maybe I bring this, I'm, I might talk about this a little bit more later, but I just, I remember not having as much fun as I, as I wanted to Yeah. when I first got the game. And then again, when we played it for the episode. So, okay. Um, for this one, 
I did average ratings again. Your average rating was 8.95. My average rating was 8.45. So we were closer here. I'm noticing a lot of scores in like the eights and seven range. Um, we had our first 10 here, a couple 9.5s from you. So that helped bring up the average scores here. Um, if I could redo a score, I'm looking through all these. I think I feel about the same for all of them, except maybe Hyperlight Drifter, I might bump down to an 8.5. Mm. I think I might've been just a tad generous with that one. I wondered um, if maybe like part of that was just like, the, oh, I know this is disco's favorite game i don't want to right maybe but i think in the moment i think that game really did occupy my mind for a solid few weeks after playing it and the music stuck with me the ending stuck with me much more than the very first time i played it prior to doing this show with you um i just don't think it has had that lasting power in terms of capturing my imagination mm -hmm. in the following uh month you know or plus since playing it but just a minor adjustment there still a Awesome game. Hades, I might bump up to a 9.5 like you. Yeah. Um, I've continued to play Hades. Um, I actually platinumed it last week. At the time of our recording, I think I had 15 hours in the game. I think I now have closer to 55 hours. Uh, so I have put in uh, multiple times my amount of playtime that I have uh, played at first when we reviewed the game. That's, and that's one of those games that's just, we talk about it so much just because like, we, you can say, oh, I, I had this build and this boon. Yeah. And and it just, we talked about it, I think, for half an hour before the recording tonight. Yeah, you can keep talking about the lore. You can keep talking about runs you had, luck you had, um, interactions you've had, what you've achieved, what you've bought through the house contractor. <laughs> Endless conversations with that one. I've even um, absorbed lots of documentary content about that game. I've looked into the behind the scenes of the making of that game, which is just fascinating all the levels of development that that game went through is just crazy to delve into. So Hades, um, I might even bump that score up if I could redo my score. But um, I guess I didn't note this at the start. All of our scores are going to, for the record book, for record keeping. <laughs> we're, we're good record keepers. We, we're, yes. We're not going to adjust our official scores. Um we're going to keep our scores as they were when we scored them. So this is more of a place for us to voice any regrets or things we notice up top, more about the superficial scores. The next thing that we're going to do is do uh, about a dozen different categories where we give out kind of pseudo awards. Mm -hmm. So uh, the first one is kind of the big one. And it is the top five games we played this season. So this is our rankings of our individual top five lists of games we played for season one. They can be really any combination of secret or featured games. All five of our games could be secret. They could be featured. They could be a mixture. And really this ranking is a capturing of our feelings at this moment. It's an emotional decision based on how we feel this very week we're recording this episode. So importantly, I want us to disregard our scores. If one of us feels a certain game is our number one, but we originally scored it 0.5 points lower than our number two pick, we're not going to worry about that at all. That's why we addressed all the score stuff at the top uh, to allow ourselves to get those brief thoughts out of the way. So we'll share one game at a time going back and forth okay. for each top five game. We'll share a bit about it, what it accomplishes, why it beats out other games, uh, whether we've revisited it how it occupies our thoughts. Okay. 
Um, are, so are we starting with five? I yeah, like we're to starting go in with reverse. Five. Okay. We're start, we're not starting with number one. Okay. We're going to go with number five. Okay. Um, disco cola. What's your number five game you played for season one? Okay. I, okay. First of all, first of all, I want to say, uh, Hyperlight Drifter is like my third favorite game of all time. My favorite indie game of all time. It's not on here because of that. Obviously it's my favorite. So now expound on that. Why, why are you omitting it from your lists? Because you told me you were going to do that ahead of this episode recording and, you know, privately. And I still don't understand why. I think it's just, it's not fair because it takes a spot away from another game that deserves to be talked about when, you know, it's obvious that I would pick Hyperlight Drifter. So it's just so like, it, you feel like it, it already has its place in your, in a list of some kind of your favorite games of all time. Yeah. So it's so much it. of a given that I love it, that it doesn't make sense sure. to give it more airtime than this, I already need one to. One of the reasons we picked it as a featured game for season one is that it is one of your favorite games yes. of all time. Like it gives us momentum going into the season knowing, hey, some of these games I've played, some of these games you've played, some of these games neither of us have played. So it gave us a good mixture of stuff to look forward to. Yeah. Makes sense. Got it. What's your number five? Okay. Uh, I took some notes at the beginning of the day and I think I'm already going to change number five. Bug Snacks. Bug Snacks is Disco's number five. Why do you love Bug Snacks? I just I think it was so fun. Um, it went a direction I wasn't expecting, and uh, I think about you know, I, I would think about fun and unique ways to catch some of the different snacks. Cool, very cool. My number five is Before Your Eyes. Oh, already at five. Okay, yeah. Cool. So I don't. This almost didn't make my list. Obviously, being at number five, I was thinking about a few other things, but Before Your Eyes, I'm picking to be on my list because of how different of an experience it was for me, how it was a game that made me kind of forget I was playing a game for a bit, um, which I think is something I forgot to mention in our review. Mm -hmm. um, but there was a good maybe 30 minutes closer to the end when there's a, a revelation that happens where I stopped remembering which room I was sitting in. I, I was so captivated by this game. I didn't have a lot of the technical hurdles with this game, um, luckily. I mean, I feel really lucky that I had that kind of experience. The, the game actually made me feel emotions that a lot of other games have not made me feel um, that we played throughout the season and just in general. And uh, there's actually a part that made me so overwhelmed with emotion that I was I was tearing up, mm -hmm. and I, it was making me think about people in my life and memories that I have and what I expect for my own future. I think it's a very special game. I think it's a special game for different people depending on what kinds of life experiences you've had. And so, uh, yeah, I haven't thought a ton back to it, but I think in the moment, it really did capture me. It captivated me. So um, it's my number five. I had to put it on my list mm -hmm. uh, for those reasons. So uh, Disco, your number four game. Outer Wilds. Outer Wilds. Yeah. I uh, like, like I've said in the recording of the episode, I think about the ending all the time, um, the music all the time. And uh, it turned uh, a game that I was dreading into something uh, that I enjoyed, and I, I look forward to getting the rest of the trophies that I'm missing. For the most part, there's there's a couple um, <laughs> shiplog entries that uh, I'm I'm dreading, but for the yeah. most part, I'm looking forward to playing that and playing Echoes of the Eye, which we uh, yes. we both did not have time to. Yeah, Echoes uh, of the Eye is, is kind of a standalone DLC 
that recent re- recently released around the time of the recording of like this episode and our previous episode, which featured Outer Wilds. But uh, I'm I'm looking forward to delving into that too, and I think it'll be different enough content that it'll it will give us something unexpected. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, my number four game for season one is Bug Snacks. Hey, wow, higher than me. Okay. Uh, so I actually had something else in this slot, and I took it out today. Okay. Uh, again, an emotional decision based on how we feel in this very specific moment. Bug Snacks. I was just looking back over the list, and I thought, you know what? Not that Bug Snacks. And I was more thinking about like, okay, before your eyes, if that's a game that really um, did something different in the moment I played it, what's a game? that I wouldn't mind revisiting. And I was thinking about like, well, this these games I would revisit, these games I would revisit. I got what I originally had for number four and it wasn't hitting for me as in my memory as much as Bugsnax. So Bugsnax, I think you said it really well. Like it captures your imagination about how you think about it when you're not playing it. Like, oh yeah, that's how I should try to capture that mm-hmm. bug snack that I was stuck on. Um, it is charming in so many ways. The characters are fun to talk to and look at. Um, it's got this kind of cutesy, innocent, childlike look to it, but there's a lot underneath the hood. It has an ending that is very surprising and makes me want to see what the future holds for this series. There's DLC yeah. upcoming for Bug Snacks, the uh, that was announced after we recorded our <laughs> Bug Snacks episode. I'm looking forward to delving back into not only um, Outer Wilds but Bug Snacks for DLC now. So we're gonna have to do DLC catch ups on a lot of these games. Um, so yeah, Bug Snacks, super fun. I still think about some of the little jingles too, like the yeah, the, the music is great. Um, some charming characters. Like I said, yes, uh, Bugsnax is, is uh, really fun and not the game you expect when you look at the cover. You're number three. Let's go. All right. My number three may be a surprise. The Mummy Demastered. I know. Wow. I never would have guessed that for your number three. You That's know, crazy. okay. So the game, uh, it's really short and like the the enemy variety is just not there, and the enemies, like the little minor enemies, are not interesting. But the game was just so fun to play. It was well designed. Um, I like Metroidvanias to start, anyways. Uh, and the music by Monomer uh, is really good. Although, when you were talking about like pause menus and stuff uh, <laughs> being very stripped down, the, the Mummy Demastered is an example of that. Okay. When I was streaming it, um, the it's music not was always a terrible thing. But yeah, some of mine just weren't functional. The music was just so loud, and there are no audio adjustment options oh, at all. Sucks. So I, I had to like yeah. adjust my streaming equipment to uh, play the game properly. But I just I had a lot of fun, and I the the controls feel nice, and the upgrade progression just makes a lot of sense. So cool. uh, yeah, the mummy demastered. Wow, good pick, uh, unexpected pick. I don't think I would have guessed that. My number three for season one is Outer Wilds. Nice. Uh, so I'm just like <laughs> <laughs> rating each game one spot higher than you. But Outer Wilds, uh, we've already kind of said it in this episode, and I think we covered it in depth a lot on our review episode on episode 10. But man, I thought I would feel a certain way about this game even when I knew the premise. And then when I played it, it made me feel all kinds of emotions at the same time, I would feel a sense of awe and wonder and um, amazement while also feeling scared and intimidated and also encouraged and curious. And all those things 
coalescing is just a crazy feeling when you're playing this game. Um, it's a game full of mystery and wonder and um, uncovering stuff so that you can break this cycle that seems impossible to escape. So Outer Wilds, uh, I'm still thinking about um, many weeks after initially starting it. And I, again, look forward to Echoes of the Eye DLC. So uh, that's why I picked it for my number three. Disco Cola, your number two game of season one. My number two is Hades, for all the reasons we've already said. Very nice. Uh, very Hades. fun game. You know, Hyperlight Drifter's my my favorite, you know, indie game, and, and it ha- Hades has this dash, and even before we decided to play Hades, I was looking forward to just, like, <laughs> just the dash. operating the dash, just <laughs> that mechanic alone. Um, but this game ended up being so much more. It's a completionist's nightmare it's a, it's a, yeah. And we're not just talking about the achievement slash trophy system. I, I go way beyond that, my disco friend. Disco likes completing games to um, their absolute potential. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, it is, I, there, I learned, I unlocked more mechanics last night that I didn't have. Uh, and yeah. I've got a long road. Ahead. I'm going to be playing this into season three, I think. It's a, so. it's a good thing. There's a lot to chew on with this game uh, when it's so good. Yeah. It's, it's good to have both the quality and the quantity with this one. Very nice pick. I'm so glad it's on your list. Um, My number two game of season one is also one that had a dash that you just had to try out immediately, and it's It Takes Two. Oh, yeah. It Takes Two is my number two game because I had such a fun time playing this with you. It is a game that is so imaginative and pulls in so many gameplay influences into its level designs. so many artistic directions in all of its levels. There are so many parts to this game that you cannot in one sitting, like just even remember. And that might seem like a negative, but I think it's just all quality and it's all really great. Mm. Um, Great moments of cooperating and working together to solve a puzzle, but also moments where the game makes you do like a fun little challenge against each other. And that ultimately is reflecting the themes of the story. Yeah. It's just so well done. It recently won the Game Awards, Game of the Year Award. Yeah, I was so happy. We I, we messaged each other at like the same moment yeah, in like time. 11 at night. And we're like, <laughs> it takes two, baby. So um, again, a game published by EA, but part of their EA Originals program, their kind of effort to push out more indie-like games because I think EA, this big company, is realizing there's a hunger for these kinds of experiences. And at the end of the day, they're indie-like experiences. So It Takes Two is great. It's my number two. What's your number one game of season one? Your favorite game you played? My favorite game that I played this season was Later Alligator. Holy moly. Okay, Later Alligator. Later Alligator. A secret game from episode two, I want to say. Yeah, two, I think. Um Tell me again about Later Alligator. So Later Alligator, it's really a simple game. Very simple. It's just a collection of mini games uh, that's disguised as, you know, finding out a secret about your friend Pat. Um, But it was, oh man, the art direction was incredible. Small boot animations. um, And I just, I don't always remember that I played Later Alligator, but every time I think about that game, I smile, like visibly I feel my muscles in my face move awesome. into a smile. It's just such such a delightful game. I'm I 
I think I talk about it more a little bit later in the episode, but um, that's a great testament to your love for it. That's yeah. so cool. Awesome. My number one game is Hades. That's Hades a good is pick. My favorite. That's a great pick. It's the game that I have <laughs> played the most since we reviewed it. Again, like I said, I've I platinumed it. I've th- these past two weeks, especially, I've been hyper focused on that game. When I have free time, I play. Hades. I think I'm done for now. Now that I've platinumed it, I think like that was the final motivation that I had to like really get obsessed with it. Um, so now that I've platinumed it, I think I can move on to finishing up some of the other games I played, but man, it's the complete package. I talked about how I don't like roguelikes still don't in that, uh, episode. And it is the best example I can think of, of a game I love in a genre I hate. Mm-hmm. Um, not hate, hate's a strong word, but well, a genre I just have not clicked with that I've tried to click with so many times. And Hades was my game. Hades was the game. And I don't think I'm the only one. Listeners, if you have tried roguelike games and you haven't tried Hades, give it a shot. It's got amazing writing, great storylines. I think there's something like, you know, 300,000 words of dialogue in the game or something like that. It's, it's really impressive. It's got like many, 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 many hours of unique dialogue. You'll never hear the same thing twice. All of the characters are expertly voiced. Um, the gameplay is fun. You pick up these boons from Greek gods that give you powers that change up the gameplay. You don't pick a class. Your class is kind of which weapon you choose to go into each run with. And you're the son of Hades, the god of the dead, and you're trying to escape and get to the surface. And the game story gives a great excuse for this game to be a roguelike. The story and the genre are inherently very tied together in a way that just makes so much more sense than mm-hmm. other roguelike games I've played, yep. where it just seems like kind of a mismatch or a shoehorn of a genre put into a game that doesn't really feel like it needs to be. Like an a excuse roguelike. for the game to be difficult, essentially. Yes. Yeah. And Hades is difficult, but it rewards you for dying. Mm-hmm. There's reward in learning more story, having more interactions, having more things you can unlock. You feel like you make progress even when you fail. Hades is amazing. I put it immediately into my <laughs> top 100 games list that I keep you know, separately from this podcast. It is pretty high up on that list now. So again, another reason why I would have rated this game um, a little bit higher if I could uh, is that it is my favorite game of season one. So awesome. Uh, I noticed your list is a hybrid of secret and featured games. My list is all featured games. Is it? Okay. I wasn't keeping track. I'll recap again. So Disco's top five, number five, Bug Snacks, number four, Outer Wilds, number three, The Mummy Demastered, number two, Hades, number one, Later Alligator, my top five, number five, Before Your Eyes, number four, Bug Snacks, number three, Outer Wilds, number two, It Takes Two, number one, Hades. Can I can I make an observation about that? Please I do. think what might be happening, at least a piece of it, is that you're a little bit more adventurous with your secret games. You played stuff like Art School. You played stuff like well, uh, I wanted to play experimental stuff. Balthazar's Dream. Yes. A lot of the secret games I play, I'm a big physical game collector. In order to get a physical copy, you have to be kind of good, probably, unless you're self-publishing. Right. So there, there has to be some quality, some notoriety behind. The developer or the game itself. So I think maybe I'm setting myself up to have maybe some better secret games, yeah, just just absolutely. by the very nature of how I play, you know, I think, collect video games. I think games. that's totally fair. I think that's totally fair. I think on on the average, I think we shared it in our um, you know score breakdowns earlier. 
on average, I scored um, featured games higher. So I think it makes sense that all mine were featured games. Uh, another thing that I want to say, um, It Takes Two was was the one that just got cut off. Just so got cut, yeah. I, I didn't want you to think I didn't enjoy my time I playing with you. you. I remember fondly. I remember you saying the reason you rated it just a tad higher than me was because you got to play it with me. So yeah. I don't I don't doubt that for a second. I I totally understand. Um, and it's also been a while since we've played that too. Like it's been over six months, I think. So. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, we played that quite a bit uh, before we even recorded the episode about That's right, it. Like, yeah. so, like maybe a couple months, so. Let's move on to our next category, which is one I'm very excited about. Um, <laughs> I think this is this is going to be really fun. It's a short one, but it's Jealous Games. What is Jealous Games? This is focusing just on the secret games from season one. We're going to each share one game the other person picked and played and reviewed as a secret game that we want to play or wish we had picked. So you pick a secret game that I played that seems alluring. I do the same for you. Disco Cola, what's your jealous game from season one? Well, looking at your list, I think I think Ape Out looks the most fun. But if I was to pick one, I think Maquette is actually the most compelling for my specific tastes. I think it takes the things um, from games like like Before Your Eyes and Last Day of June, and and just sort of that overarching like narrative relationship, but puts it with a an interesting art style that we had in like Manifold Garden because you played it uh, in relation to Manifold Garden. Yes. So I think it combines two things that I really like and I am interested in maybe trying that on my own. I think you would really like Maquette. I wasn't a huge fan of like the central relationship. I think that's actually the story and like the the performance of of those two characters in the central story. It's about a relationship. It's about, you know, people who who love and then kind of fall out of love. I think that's maybe one of the weaker parts for me. Um, not enough to ruin the game. I think the game's strengths are its imagination, its puzzles, the fact that when you're playing it, you have an idea about how the solution might go, but it seems far-fetched. And then you realize I'm right. And that is <laughs> That's amazing. Satisfying That's feeling. really satisfying. Yeah. Cause it feels like sometimes I would play and I'd think like my intuition is sometimes really far-fetched. Mm -hmm. I try the weirdest off the wall thing because that's how I would want to make it if I were making a game. And then I find out that's the solution. So a couple of moments in that game really made it uh, score pretty highly for me. So I think you would like maquette for those reasons. My right, well, let's hear it. Uh, my jealous game, and it's not because you picked it as your number one. I actually had this written down before tonight. Later, alligator is my ah! jealous game. Uh, <laughs> I'm so happy about that. The how glowingly you reviewed it, what you just said about it a moment ago. It seems like such a a fun, charming game. I still only have seen a few seconds of gameplay from the trailer that you sent me, and I haven't even looked at that in a while, but. Man, it just seems like a cute, fun game and um, just like something that anybody could pick up and enjoy. So, yeah, I, I want to check that one out, probably on Steam. Uh, cool. I liked that category. That's, that's <laughs> really cool. Um, now I want to do um, underrated games. That's why we're here. Another another uh, way you could say this is games they don't get. You can have an entry here if you want, but it's optional only if applicable. So this can be interpreted uh, any number of ways. The way we interpret it can be very subjective. We can mention one game 
from season one, secret or featured, that's something along the lines of being misunderstood by others who have shared opinions about it that we've heard or read about, uh, a game that has a, a gamer and or critic review score that we feel is too harsh, or a game that's quite literally underplayed and not enjoyed by enough people in a way that's heartbreaking. So doesn't really matter how you interpret it, but something along those lines, Disco Cola, did you have an underrated game? Well, I, I did, and I guess maybe it's more appropriate to have not applicable, but I put down Later Alligator, honestly. Um, yeah. I haven't seen a negative uh, review of it, but it is literally underplayed. It like, is underplayed. Not enough yeah. people have played it. This this I don't know that I had heard about this before you talked about it. Maybe you had told me anecdotally outside of recording that someone got it for you. Yeah. I didn't know anything about it. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it won't be for everyone, but the only people it really isn't going to be for are the kind of people that need really challenging gameplay. Mm. Otherwise, I don't see how it's not totally accessible and just absolutely delightful. The writing in this game is just so natural. It's crazy. Like your best friend from college, you know, is chatting with you through this. It's, it just sounds like you're talking to real people are talking. It's so insane. I looked it up on steam and I like to see total number of reviews on certain steam games. I I did Um, the same thing before the episode when uh, I was trying to figure this out to give me an idea of like how, and it's not a perfect way of, of telling how popular a game is or how, how many players there are. Um, but I see it has just over a thousand reviews. So that's like not terrible. That's but not terrible. Like, but then I looked at the scope of all the other games that I played. Right. It's way low. Way low. If a game has between like zero and a hundred reviews, it's really unknown on Steam. Um, and then like that, you know, maybe one hundred to a thousand is kind of in the middle. And then once you get beyond a few thousand, then it's it's pretty well known. And that's why I have to say just judging by that metric, I don't know that I have an underrated game for season one. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to appreciation, though, maybe jazz punk. A lot of people who play jazz punk love it. Um, I really think it's a special game and is one of the first games to do what it does so well. <laughs> Just like the satire, the dry humor, a game that makes you laugh out loud so much like that one. I think even more people could play it. It has um, even more reviews on Steam than later Alligator. So I think the a good number of people have played it, but I wish I heard it talked about more. Mm. Um, I, I would recommend that to anyone who wants a comedic and unique experience. So if I if gun to my head, I would choose Jazz Punk, but I don't feel super passionate about it as an underrated game. Um, overrated games now. So this is the inverse. Games we don't get. Having an entry here is, again, optional, only if applicable. Uh, The way this can be interpreted can be incredibly subjective, but we can mention a game, secret or featured from season one, that's something along the lines of being overpraised by others who have shared opinions about it, Uh, having gamer or critic review scores we feel are too generous, or being overenjoyed by a lot of people and having too big of a moment in sub-popular culture in a way that might be appalling or confusing to us. So, Disco Cola, did you have an overrated game? My instinct, my immediate instinct was to say Night in the Woods. Um, But I think, actually, I feel a little bit stronger about Axiom Verge. I think that more accurately fits my feelings here. 
it's not a bad game by you know any stretch but i i i always and in my score like i recognize its importance in the surge of indies and my you know favorite subgenre the metroidvania but i just i don't love it as much as i hoped that i would when i first got it like it was a very special gift it was my first like physical indie game for the most part mm. um and i didn't love it as much as i wanted to i don't like the character trace and i didn't i didn't love the game this time around when we played it for okay. the episode either so i'm kind of i'm looking forward to just finishing off the trophies and and getting my perfect save file and calling it a day axiom verge is my pick for this category actually we have the same pick um i appreciate what it's doing it's obviously paying homage to its influences super closely and very passionately and i give it all the praise for that and the big moments in that game, encountering some of the characters, the bigger boss fights are very cool. I, I love so much about the game. A lot of the character design is is um, very detailed and intricate. Um, but I just felt myself wanting to play a lot of the games that it's based on more than continuing to play Axiom Verge. There's some of it that's repetitive. Um other parts of it that are, I think are just overcooked, mm. like the amount of weapons you can find yeah, and how you select weapons and some of the control things about that game, I think are, are a tad rough. Like, I think, I think the glitch gun is a super cool idea. I love oh, that. That it was a, that was a big cool. draw. Super cool. Uh, and I love the, the laser drill most of the time. Yeah. I think the sound gets a little bit grating after a while, but uh, I think the laser drill is cool. It's, it's fun to play with, but. Yeah. And I also think the story for the game is too convoluted for what this game is. Yeah. I, I just think it is disproportionate. Those kinds of stories, those confounding like stories that play with time, I just don't relate to those. And this game has that in spades. So uh, if you like that kind of thing, I think you would love Axiom Verge because it's got a lot of that like really trippy, mind-melting story stuff that uh, doesn't you know make a lot of sense at first until you really examine it. So yeah, Axiom Verge uh, was both of our overrated uh, game. Let's go to our biggest surprises. Though again, the way this can be interpreted can be very subjective, but we can select from all the games we played. And these are the qualities from any of the 31 games from season one that were unexpected to us. They can be positive qualities, neutral qualities, or negative qualities. So the biggest surprises for season one, you can have a couple if you want. Um, oh, I only prepared one. Let's hear your one. <laughs> okay. I'll only share one too. I think I I have to pick a moment from from Bug Snacks. I think Bug Snacks was the biggest surprise to me. Okay. Uh I knew I watched the episode of The Completionist um of Bug Snacks long before like Underplayed was even an idea. Um so I knew that like character development was going to get really deep, but what I didn't expect was just like how the story would develop how you know that turn that it would take uh that that was totally shocking to me and you're you're talking about kind of like the sinister ending the yeah. sinister twist that happens not not like post credits you know oh, sinister right, ending right, right. but yeah, like but the la- the the greater the climax, secret of the, last... the island man i i actually so i made kind of a list of several that was on mine too yeah the, i would argue that night in the woods 
did that same kind of thing too. Not not literally the same thing, but the same kind of ending that's sinister in a way that's unexpected. Yeah, yeah. I almost I almost put that on my list as well. And I guess while I'm looking at my all the games we played so that you can get through all yours. I don't want to take away what you wanted to talk about. Um, yeah, this can be informal. You add some if yeah, you want. Yeah, like I be... want to make sure you get everything in. I'm, I'm a fan of fairness. Um, Fury, I didn't oh. expect um, any story, really. I didn't know what to expect in terms of story, um, but uh, I, I didn't expect where that game was going to go. I did once Story-wise? I, yeah, I did once I started playing it and like some of the dialogue... Uh, played out, I was like, oh, I see where this game is going. But when I first started, like that was a, a surprise to me. Okay. Cool. Any others? Any other surprises? No, I don't I don't think so. It can so. be about like anything. It can be about like I didn't know this game was gonna be this long. I yeah. Didn't expect... I liked I liked Time Spinner more than I thought I would after okay. like I test played it like for forty five minutes like a year and a half ago. I liked it more than I thought I would. But other than that, um I don't I don't have any specific other surprises, I don't think. But uh, I want to hear what you have to say. First thing I wrote down was what exactly Night in the Woods was. So that game to me just kind of looked like this really simple side-scrolling platformer, mm-hmm. judging by the trailers that I looked at. Um, but what we got was something that was much more dialogue-focused, mm-hmm. much more story-focused, much more focused around kind of living several weeks in the life of these um, characters where you can kind of talk to anybody in this town in, in you know, several maps that, that stretch horizontally that represent this town and discover lots of brokenness and darkness and problems with society and things that reflect a lot of the problems going on in our culture now. Um, just a lot heavier than I expected it to be, especially with that um, – that story turn that it takes, that sinister ending that I already mentioned. So just exactly the nature, the feeling of what that game was, the emotion of that game was a lot different than what I expected. Next, I would just say how scary Outer Wilds was. (laughs) Um, I I mentioned it was one of, it was a really powerful horror game at times for me. That might be a bit of an exaggeration, but the game made me feel a kind of terror that horror games don't usually give me. You know, mm. horror games scare me a lot in the moment with like jump scares and like this dread of being caught by some killer or something. But Outer Wilds, there was this fear in like how much there was that was unknown and how little I am in this solar system. There's a different kind of fear that goes along with that and um, giving me goosebumps just thinking <laughs> about it. So um, that's the kind of fear that I don't encounter a lot in games. So I have to note that. Well, I don't know much about Echoes of the Eye, but uh, all the warnings that it gives me whenever I boot up the game, maybe you can expect a little bit more of the traditional. Shoot. I don't oh, no. know. I don't know. I it's avoided gonna, spoilers. It's but scare me in many different ways. I don't know. I will still welcome it. I still want to play that. Uh, my next one is one of my secret games, Super One More Jump. How addicting that was. Uh, I didn't expect to want to do like the just one more try, just one more try thing literally hundreds of times more than I expected. Um, there were levels that I tried upwards of 200 times before I finished them without even collecting like the three optional diamonds in each (laughs) level, which I didn't go for because that would have been overkill for me. But, um, that game, I I planned to play it for half an hour and I'd end up playing it for an hour and a half, you know? So, uh, that was interesting. Um, let's see. Oh, and then my final one is 
the the cutie scene from It Takes Two. Oh, that's so true. You're so right. It, the cutie scene from It Takes Two. If you've played It Takes Two, you know you know exactly you know what we're talking about. It is <laughs> <won't> morbid. <laughs> There's a morbid part in It Takes Two that, and again, we played this game together. We both just kept remarking how messed up it was, and that it kept going. It was just um, demented. Yeah. Uh, all of a sudden, the game took a turn. So I I watched a, a famous uh, internet gameplay duo play that scene recently, and it. Uh, it played out pretty much the same as as it did for us. Yeah, I'm glad we're not the only ones. <laughs> now I want to go to our favorite moments. Um, so this is from all the games we played from season one. Uh, we can list a few gaming moments that were our favorites. So some examples might be a favorite story beat or narrative cutscene, a favorite combat encounter, um, receiving a certain item, finishing something challenging, any kind of surprise or reveal that we loved. So favorite moments. Um, again, for this one, I'm sorry if I gave you the impression that it was only one, but you can say a couple here, I think. Okay. I think uh, uh, so let me, well, okay, looking through the list again, um, one I took off earlier, uh, later Alligator, there's several characters that I encountered um, that were just absolutely delightful uh, I think of, and I even remember her, I never remember names, Geraldine from <laughs> Later Alligator. Okay. Uh, super delightful encounter. Um, let's see, what else do we have here? I keep coming back to it, but the ending to Outer Wilds. Um, yeah. I, yeah. So every time I think about this, I just, all I, the first thing I think of is Outer Wilds ending. Um, I had so many mixed feelings about the game up until that point, uh, but the way the music was used throughout the game, but then like the way that it took that music into the ending and used it to drive your final quest, it just it floored me. Cool. Um, and then watching and playing that ending multiple times now since our recording never lived up to the first time. And I think that's like that's like a truly a fleeting moment of total joy. And I think that in a meta way is reflective of some of the themes of Outer Wilds in a way, just, mm. just like this, this fleeting existence, but then this fleeting moment that was just like so impactful. Yeah. Uh, you live it once. Um, and then, yeah, I would say that last 10 minutes of that game is also very surprising. It could fit into our previous category. Um, yeah, it's another part of the game that's giving me goosebumps right now. So there you go. Um, any other favorite moments? No, not not that I uh, can think of uh, right now. Um, I would say the first time you beat Hades and make it to the surface it was super satisfying, especially after I had um, thought like, oh, man, I don't know if I can do this. Like, yeah. I don't know if I have the skill to do this. But then you beat him, and I've since beaten him many dozens of times. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there you go. Uh, but that satisfaction of finally making it through and the stress of first playing him, the discovery that he has a second phase even was crazy. <laughs> I remember that too, yeah. Um, and then what you see on the other side is so different than the rest of what you experience in that game. So let's see. You know, I was thinking about bug snacks. I, I don't know if you liked this fight as much. Because it was kind of stressful and frustrating, but fighting Mega Maki uh, in Bug Snacks—that's the one I I think about that one all the time, but not for the same reason. I kind of hate that fight. It is kind of annoying, but the epicness of it is pretty cool to me. Um, 
body controlling dead bodies in carrion. Ooh, yeah, that's fun. You know, the first time you realize that that's part of the game is really cool. When you can uh, climb into the control? mech. Yeah, that's another Ooh, cool one. Yeah. It's it, the upgrade's called parasitism. So you're literally like the body now. It is uh, super cool. You get control over these people, and it's how you solve certain puzzles mm-hmm. in in carrying. It becomes very essential to uh, finishing the game. Uh, free falling in manifold garden, that feeling of jumping off of a ledge and then just being able to free fall forever while this crazy architecture just loops and loops and loops around you. It actually gave me the feeling of like butterflies in my stomach mm. when I would do that at times. So um, that I, I didn't expect that to happen, but uh, that and <laughs> this last one is is more of a funny one, but just platinuming Balthazar's dream, <laughs> just finally, <laughs> finally overcoming the technical challenges of that game. I had to play it on Vita, the PS4 version on PS4 and the PS4 version on PS5, various combinations of full playthroughs and partial playthroughs to get all the trophies. Some trophies would unlock on certain platforms just because of the glitches. Super frustrating. The game is broken, but the the feeling of finally being done with that was just like this weight being lifted off. And I felt like I had to complete it because I had already sunk so much time into it. It's that it's that sunken cost fallacy, right? I fall <laughs> I fall for that all the time. So being free of the shackles of that game is really what what I wanted to point out. Three more categories we have. Favorite characters. So we can select from all the games we played. We can pick a character who is special to us. All you right. mentioned later uh, Geraldine from yes, Later Alligator. I yes. mean, I, that's making me think, are you going to pick Geraldine? I, w- I had her on here originally. I, I removed her when I thought it was just one character. Um yeah, Geraldine from Later Alligator, absolutely deserving. Uh, the Transistor from Transistor, uh, I think, oh. carried the game for sure. Um, let's see. Who else do we got? I like uh, Zagreus, obviously. Yeah. Zagreus is one of my favorite main characters. Uh, I often don't care for main characters or prefer like the silent protagonist um, approach. Yeah. There are characters in Night in the Woods that I like, but there are also characters in Night in the Woods that I hate. So, well, well, I don't, I don't think you should let those characters you hate detract from the characters you love. No, I mean, of course what, not. What, I, I remember you liking Angus. I like Angus. Angus, um, and I like, I like B for the most part. Um, yep, I think they're both delightful. I like, uh, I don't remember all the names, but like the the horror movie fan, Lori, 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 she's great. Yes. I like. Um, the the wayward crow character. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. I think he's hilarious. Yes. Um. I'm sorry. I'm forgetting his name. Yeah. Yeah. It's on the tip of my tongue. Yeah. <laughs> um. But the one that I had down initially, and this is going to be super unpopular with the people that have played the game. Oh. Um. But the boss called the Beat from Fury. Okay. Uh. S- has stood out in my mind since I played the game. She, more than anyone else in that whole game, in my opinion, conveys the true stakes of the conflict and expresses like how hopeless and how powerless people can be in a great existential threat, um, but yet she still shows up. Uh, I heard another player that was doing a speedrun or something call her a coward, uh, and mm. that, that made me like angry. 
like actually angry. Hmm. And I thought, how could you think that about this this character that already, you know, knows her fate, you know, before she even shows up for work that day? Uh, because this this boss character is not difficult. It's it's basically a given that you're going to beat her. I think that that character showed so much bravery and vulnerability. Wow. Uh, and it felt so incredible and devastating. A game so, like, energetic and combat-focused, I, I don't know that I would have expected you to pick a character from that, just from my memory of you talking about it. But, wow. Oh, that's... Yeah, lots of frustration with that game. A lot of, like one-dimensional characters, in sure. my opinion, that I don't think that's one of them. The beat from Fury. Cool. Um, here are my picks. Lori from Night in the Woods. Wrote cool. Just Good down pick. one. Just wrote down one from Night in the Woods. Um, Philbo Fiddlepie. Yeah, from Bugsnax. Philbo's yeah. great. Philbo's a great guy. I want to hang out with him. He's just, he means well. He means well. He doesn't do well all the time, <laughs> but he means well. And then I put down several characters from Hades. I also put down Zagreus. I also wrote down Poseidon and Dionysus, ah. just because those guys are like, they're you know, funny. they're yeah. your uncles or whatever, or Poseidon's your uncle, and the, just the way they talk to you, I, I know how they sound in my mind, and sometimes I just <laughs> let them talk to me in my mind. Does that make sense? It makes total like, sense. The way that uh, Poseidon calls you little Hades, or like little nephew, is so funny, and the way Dionysus is like, hey, man, Zag, just calm down. Have a drink with me. Little old Dionysus and Zag hanging out. And then Zagreus is just um, really cool. Is voiced well by Darren Korb, who's the audio director for Supergiant Games. And um, just all around talented individual, all around, apparently. All around talented, all around really cool. He's just issues cool. And then uh, my other pick is the fairy man from Before Your Eyes. Oh, yeah, he's great. Great voice performance. Great voice performance. The writing, the way he's written and how he delivers his lines just command your attention. Like, you don't know what he's going to say next. His mood changes yeah, a lot in I'm, a way I think I'm like, thinking of the exact same moment. what the heck are you, dude? I thought What's it was a deal? totally different, like, character that had the same voice for a minute. Yeah, yeah. I was like... Man, I don't know what's going to come out of this character's mouth next. Um, and I remember him having the um, thesaurus or the dictionary, like trying to find the right words mm-hmm. because he wants to make sure he doesn't screw up the next one, if you know what I'm talking yeah. about. Yep. So just an interesting character all around and one that could have been so much more simple. You know what I mean? So they went above and beyond with the fairy man from Before Your Eyes. Uh, second to last category, our favorite visuals. This one, I just want to pick one game each. So selecting from all the games we played, pick a game with the graphics and or visual style you loved the most. Okay. So what's your pick? I've left Hyperlight Drifter off every other category just because of the given, but I can't leave it off of this one. Um, Visually, just the color palette, the world design, the aesthetic, the sharp angles, um, it's greatly influenced my my taste in all visuals of all games. Cool. So it's, it's my favorite aesthetic that I didn't know was my favorite until this game came out. Wow, cool. Yeah, I'm not surprised you picked it. I'm glad it showed up somewhere in one of your awards. Yeah, I think it's well-earned, well-deserved. You talked about how that game does a lot by putting so much detail on a very small canvas. Mm -hmm. Those words will stick with me for a while, and I think that's totally true. My pick might be something that's unexpected or something that you forgot about, but my pick is Hoa. My pick is one of my secret games that I did not... I did not give a very high score to compared to some of my other games, 
But oh my goodness, did so many of my merits for it come from the fact that it is a beautiful game. It is stunning looking. It is. It looks like a um, Studio Ghibli film in every way. That's what almost every review you'll read about mentions. Um, the environments are super cool. The character designs are very charming and cute and beautiful. Hoa has really great art direction and uh, style, even if it doesn't always run the best and it, if it's somewhat of a simplistic, basic platformer. So I remember, I remember when I was watching the trailer, but right when you started talking about it, I remember like progressively getting more and more disappointed um, with like how you felt about felt about it because that's the kind of game that I would have bought based just on the visuals alone. And I think I would still recommend this game pretty highly to you. I think I would still. I still intend to play it. Because it is a two-hour experience. If you aren't having the best of times, it is short. And it's still got its own kind of charming sense to it. It's just parts of it are are underdeveloped. Parts of it won't appeal to like the hardest, hardcore of platforming fans. It's going to be a game that people are going to want to play if they want something relaxing. Mm-hmm. And carefree and with minimal risk where you can't die. It's a great game for kids. I would introduce this game to a child who hasn't touched many video games or maybe as a first video game. So I think it still has a lot of value. It just wasn't uh, quite the title that I'd hoped it would be um, as far as like depth and uh, difficulty. So now favorite soundscape. Selecting from all the games we played, we will each pick a game with our favorite sound, music and or sound design and or voiceover performance. So you can weigh on any of those three kinds of categories as much as you want. Your favorite soundscape game. Machinarium. Whoa. I think I said it. this makes sense. Yeah, Yeah. I think I said it in the recording that the reason uh, I first played this game was because of the soundtrack. It's an example of hearing the music before I actually play the game. Uh, and the soundtrack still holds up. I listen to it all the time. I've used that music in a lot of personal multimedia projects. Yeah, there's a lot of games that I played this season that are totally worth mentioning, and I wish you know, that I could go over all of them. There's a lot of names I'm going to remember from now on. Andrew Prallo, mm. Darren Korb. Darren yeah. Korb shows up twice, actually, this season. <laughs> um but uh, the music by Floex or uh, Thomas Dvorak in Machinarium is one of my favorite soundtracks of one of my favorite albums of all time wow. uh, and has been v- very important in my my musical tastes overall. Very cool. Great pick. Love it. A very inspired pick with Machinarium. My favorite soundscape for me was an easy pick. It's Hades. Yeah. The audio direction, the music, uh, the soundtrack, you'll hear the same songs over and over but they never get tiresome uh, because I've done dozens of these runs now. I think I'm up to like, I want to say 70 escape attempts. Mm. Most of those having escaped. So I've heard music from all the areas of the game many times. And man, it's just such a great amount of like kind of heavy rock music that reinforces the action at hand, but also really relaxing acoustic music when you're in some of the quieter moments of the game. Um, all inspired by these Greek myths. And then also just the voiceover delivery in this game is masterful. And it's crazy how 
for a lot of their talent, they're just using in-house people, people who have another job at um, the studio of right? Supergiant Games. I mean, I think it's it's Darren Korb doing Zagreus and Skelly, mm-hmm. um, but you also have uh, Greg Kasavin, the uh, creative director, I believe, who's doing characters like Hypnos, the way that they start with a human voice and then warp it until it doesn't sound like unfaithful to the original voice, but more so that it's faithful to their imagination of what this mythical person would sound like. The way all that's done is very imaginative. You can tell that they they really thought about how all these people should sound. And then just the way they deliver the lines and the way the lines are written with a great soundtrack backing everything. So Hades is my pick for favorite soundscape. And that is our final category for season one, recap and reflection. And with that, we can move on to part two of this episode, (laughs) finally, over an hour in, uh, which is where we will plan season two's featured games. Okay, so now we enter the part of the episode that is more unexpected somehow than our first (laughs) uh, part because we don't know how attached each of us will be to our games queue that we have. We're going to build out our list of 10 featured games we want to have for season two and to just so that we don't start from absolute square zero, uh, we have built out a games queue that uh, we each can add games to. We've been adding to it for a couple months now. Each time one of us has an idea for a featured game, we add it to this queue for consideration. And uh, this whole conversation uh, will be messy, unprofessional, mistake-ridden, um, clumsy, what have you. That's kind of the point of this. We're capturing our raw planning for you as if we didn't have microphones in front of our mouths, uh, <laughs> but we do. Uh, we think this might have value uh, as being entertaining, question mark, yeah, I um, guess we'll find out eventually. Someday. And I guess the first evidence of our unprofessionalism will be that I don't have our ground rules up in front of me about what makes a quality featured game. So let me search for that email that I sent you. Uh, in the meantime, you can fill with anything you want to talk about. To- dun, dun, dun. Oh, actually, there was something I was going to bring up. Um, uh, So I have a toddler at home, and uh, she speaks in in pretty much complete sentences now, or will parrot words. Uh, Oh, yes, yes, this is a good story. I've I've started um, replacing swear words with uh, names of grumpuses. From Bug Snacks. From Bug Snacks. It was uh, not on purpose at first. I, I used to say, oh, snort. (laughs) <laughs> uh, instead of the S word, uh, but it, it became O snorp like for, for Snorpy. Sure, sure, sure. Um, so I've, I've, I've since like looked at the list of, of Grumpuses and, uh, cool. have assigned names. I love that. Um, yeah, the, another way games have occupied our minds, uh, recently. <laughs> I, I love it. Um, so what makes a good featured game? I came up with some kind of ground rules. And I don't want to be like too pedantic about things, but I think that there are three kind of hallmarks that make a good featured game. And I think you could apply these things to our season one games. I think they check all these boxes. So here's what I've noticed about season one's featured games. 
As a collective, they represent a diverse representation of genres, and where possible, there's a variety of gameplay styles and artistic direction going on. Uh, number two, all of the selections should, while still occupying the indie game landscape, have a relative sense of relevance. Games that are particularly innovative, documented, or consumed by indie game fans, noteworthy entries into the umbrella of indie games based on what we've seen, read, or already played. Uh, this rule can be somewhat subjective and can call for conversation. So basically, games in the indie space that aren't just like quite literally so underplayed that no one's played them, but ones that will be um, recognized by people who are somewhat familiar with indie games. So uh, that I think is a good way to, to abbreviate what I just said. And then um, the games should follow our usual rule about developers. They're developed by smaller teams or teams that aren't AAA developers. They're made with smaller budgets, published by smaller companies, etc. So those are kind of all the rules that I want uh, to follow or think about as we discuss what in our games queue makes sense. We 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 spent a lot of time splitting hairs before this episode too, uh, trying to figure out some of those little, a little more gray area games. Yes. I would call them. Yeah, there's some games that I think are up for debate. Maybe some really friendly debate that we might get into here. Now we have a list of 30 games in our queue, but they're not all at the same kind of status as far as being vetted for official like eligibility to be a featured game. Mm -hmm. Because when we were planning season one, we actually had a handful of other games that we ended up not playing. We just had all these options that we previously vetted. So I want to go through that list. It's about seven games. Let's go through that list. And if any of us have reservations like six to eight months later, let, let's voice those now. But those games are Hollow Knight, Momodora, Reverie Under the Moonlight, Kentucky Route Zero, Return of the Obradin, Celeste, Chris Tales, and Death's Door. So as it stands right now, um, I don't have any reservations about any of those being featured games. I, I don't think I do either. Maybe some of these are are too long or too difficult to put all in the same season potentially right. right but which we're not quite getting into yet as far as like strategy of which games we're right. simply just trying to figure out are these eligible to be featured games period yep i i agree okay you agree with those now one other note before we get to our other 23 or so um games in the queue <laughs> uh before we pick our 10 for season 2 hollow knight and momodora we've kind of had uh side conversations about those already being in season two hollow Knight, I think would be um, that's one we've talked about being the season opener for season two, just because it's a big important game and just because of its length. And we're going to take a, a bit of time off between recording season one and season two. So having that extra time will help us play hollow Knight in an amount that is fair uh, to what that game has to offer. Um, so I think that that's the one that we are thinking about mutually as being the uh, season opener for season two. And then Momodora, we originally actually slated to have that one be in season one, but because of scheduling coincidences, I'll say, like vaguely, <laughs> um, we were in a situation where we could both play Carrion 
in the, oh, at the very right. same time. And was. so to maximize that experience, we swapped out Momodora for Carrion in season one. So to kind of make it up to Momodora, uh, I think the plan could be that Momodora is a given for one of the 10 games. I, I agree with that. Okay. So we've established that those seven games, Hollow Knight, Momodora, Kentucky Route Zero, Return of the Oberdin, Celeste, Chris Tales, and Death's Door are all featured game eligible. Hollow Knight and Momodora are in the season two rotation. Yes. So that means that we need to now go through our larger queue of 23 games, and we just need to establish whether we both agree these can be featured games. Okay. Ooh, okay. We're not picking them for season two yet. We're just coming to an agreement on whether uh, whether they should be featured games. And if you know, we each put games on this list— if one of us has an argument for why it should be considered, we can we could say that. There are going to be games that I don't know a lot about that you put on there and vice versa. So um, I will just go down chronologically the, the order that we put down. So the first game is What Remains of Edith Finch. This was mine that I put on the list. Okay. It's an adventure game, and it's one that I've played. Uh, I don't know. What do you think? I, I remember you talking about it. I think it should uh, be eligible. Okay. What Remains of Edith Finch is is eligible. It makes the cut. Disco Elysium. I think this is one that I put on. I've heard a lot of praise for this one. It is a larger game, I think. Uh, I don't know anything about it. Uh, I'm partial to the name, uh, and I have, I have <laughs> I heard of what? it. I never thought of that. Well, in Disco Elysium, you play as a detective, and you have a skill system at your disposal where – you have all of these emotions that you pick from that influence your dialogue options toward okay. people you encounter. Now, I have not played this game. I think I'm, I might be misrepresenting it slightly, but um, you can choose what kinds of dialogue options you want to focus on based on like how you build out your character. Okay. Um, I- I'm going to say like I'm it's in a, the it's a choices matter game too. I'm in the same place where I was pre-season Outer Wilds. I heard a lot of praise about it. I don't know anything about it. I'm willing to give a game with that kind of praise a chance. Okay. Sounds good. Disco Elysium is eligible. Firewatch. This was again my game that I added to the queue. This is one I have played previously. It's a first-person adventure game. Do you know about this game? Before I don't I know it, about um, it, but I remember you talking about it. Um, in this game, you're a um, fire watcher. You're you, mm-hmm. you're in the wilderness. You have a walkie-talkie, and you're talking to um, oh, somebody. It's yes, a, it's yes, more, yes, yes, yes. It's mostly a walking simulator, um, uh-huh. but it's very story-based. It's maybe a four- to five-hour experience from yeah, what I remember yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. It's kind of a... You know, it's got like 50,000 reviews on Steam. So lots of people recognize this game, but it's still very much in the indie yeah, space. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I, I want to play it someday. Yeah. Okay. So. okay. Sounds good. Uh, Firewatch is eligible. 12 Minutes. This is a more recent game. This is one neither of us have played. This is a mystery puzzle game. You're in a time loop where you see things from like a top-down perspective. And I think you're trying to prevent a death mm-hmm. or something. Some, some kind of violent event from happening. Yep. That's all I know about it. 
You're going to have to forgive us listeners because the games we haven't played before, we're only going to know vague details about yeah. in some cases. So be <laughs> um, forgiving with us. We're we're not uh, uh, always watching like other content creators like play do playthroughs because we want to play these ourselves. Right. Yeah. I don't want to spoil myself on games. I, I never... I, I think I never play, uh, watch playthroughs of games I haven't played, so uh, um, that's where I am. This one, I'm very excited to play. I want to play this one so bad. Someone asked, you know, oh, hey, is your secret game for Outer Wilds going to be 12 minutes? I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure it's going to be a featured game. So I intentionally nice. didn't okay. play it okay. for that reason. Sounds good. 12 minutes. And it was nominated for like best indie game or something at the Game Awards. Yeah. All right. The next one, I think all these so far have been ones I added. Uh, and the next one is the same. Emily is away series. So this one I am not super attached to. If you disagree about this being um, eligible, I'm totally fine with it. I'll still try to sell you on it if you're interested. Emily is away is I think a PC only series. I've only played the first game, but it follows the story of at least the first one follows the story of this guy um, who's chatting with this girl that he likes on like, basically an AOL instant messenger system. And it very much recreates that environment, that mm-hmm. online environment from, you know, like the early 2000s. Yeah. And so it's a very reminiscent experience because you get to remember what it was like to chat with people on instant messenger back then. And it's kind of a thing where you get to choose what you want to say. Um, and it's entirely like takes place on a computer screen. Okay. And then, what happened was they released this game. It was, let's see, it's got 30,000 reviews on Steam, um, but it's an interactive story. It's free to play. I think a lot of people played it because it was free to play. And then because of that, they made a sequel called Emily is a way to T O O spelled T O O. And um, this one was again about surfing the web, choosing your path through these conversations I haven't played this one. And then they made Emily is Away 3. And it's stylized with like less than three to make like a heart. You know what I mean? Oh, okay. And I think it more of that one takes place in the dawn of the Facebook era. So they kind of follow this trajectory through like the early to late 2000s as far as their stories. Like, okay. So it kind of takes place in those social media spaces. And um the idea that I had here is because all these games are relatively short. Um, the idea would be that we would combine all three potentially okay. into one review, one featured review. So a very off the wall idea, kind of an off the wall series. If you think that that is more eligible as a secret game, I totally understand. I'm I'm going to s- tentatively lean that way, but I want to I'm going to hold it hostage. Just in case okay, there's a game it. later that uh, that I want to um, sort of uh, really, really, really push for. Okay, so not... Don't take it off the list yet. Don't take it off the list yet, okay. But I don't feel as strongly about this one. All right. Doki Doki Literature Club Plus is our next GameCube game. This was yours that you put on there. Right? Yeah. What? So uh, I think... I'm, I'm, you don't need to talk about it. I'm, yeah. I'm in. You're in? I'm in. Okay, yeah. cool. Um, binding. Now this next one is one of yours binding of an Isaac, <laughs> which is a reference to the fact that the, the game binding of Isaac has had many, many, many iterations over the years. I've played binding of Isaac before. 
this was uh, your idea to put this in the queue. I'm a fan of having this be eligible. You don't have to convince me. Okay. Fez is our next game idea. This was yours? Uh, it could have been. I I've, think it I've was. wanted to try it. I think it was. Okay. So Fez, you haven't tried it. I have. I bounced off of Fez pretty quickly after I started it the first time, okay. but I would definitely try it again. Okay. And I think that it is a noteworthy indie game that lots of people know. So I would be a fan of it being a featured game. Just before we move forward, just because I put a game on here doesn't necessarily mean that I'm super stoked to play it. I think there's one coming up that um, a little bit later that I put on there that I put on there because of its notoriety. Yes, and I think that is totally fair. I think we should be comfortable with playing games that we're not like super jazzed about playing. I think we should try different things and experiment. Um, I definitely did that too. Like there, there are one or two on on uh, that I contributed that are the same way. So that being said, Fez. I'm fine having it be eligible okay. as a featured game. Fez, I do want to try if you're okay. okay with it. Sounds good. Cave Story. This, is, again, was yours. This is, a, I think, right? Yep. Okay, yeah. Cave Story was a game that I also tried a long time ago and bounced off of pretty quickly. It's an adventure and Metroidvania and platformer game. And I think it was pretty influential in the early days of like indie games from the era it came out in. So I, I think we'd be remiss not to have it be eligible. So I don't have any qualms with it. Cool. I want to try it. Okay. Next one is Shovel Knight. Given. It's a given. It's yeah. it's eligible. Next one is one of mine. Chicory, A Colorful Tale. Hey, that's a transition. This is Bopo recording this in a different room on a different day in the future after the episode you're listening to. And I just want to make a note before we get into the chicory banter that... Ultimately, Disco Cola decided that Chicory would be a good featured game candidate after this episode recording. So you can disregard any qualms about the game and uh, just know that that game will one day uh, maybe be a featured game. It is now in our vetted list. It is approved as a featured game candidate. So I'm going to transition you back now. This one might be a one I have to sell to you. Okay. A game I haven't played. All right. So I might have to look it up, but <laughs> it's a game that came out here in 2021. Okay. Um, as we're recording, it's almost the end of 2021, just for people's context. Um, this game came out on PlayStation, and it is kind of an artful game where you're like a dog and you're painting the world. Oh. That's at least what I remember about it. A 2D adventure video game. Um, it features anthropomorphic dog with a magical paintbrush, which is used to color the game world. The developer also worked on Wander Song, which you might have oh, heard of. Oh, I am very familiar with Wander okay. Song. Okay, yeah. So Chick- Not very, but I, I am familiar with it. Cool. So Chicory's on PlayStation. It's also on Steam. And I think it got a Game Awards nomination. Let me I'm gonna I'm gonna type this in myself. Um because I think what will ultimately sell me on this is the very specific art style. Oh, you know what? I have seen, I have seen some from this. I and think. it is not like a mega well-known indie game like some of the others in this list. Like it's not a Shovel Knight. 
it's not a binding of an Isaac, <laughs> you know, it's well, not a re- what remains of Edith Finch. And I'm a fan of trying to get more of those games in the future game spot. Um, I, I'm not as sure about this one, to be honest, even though I love like the art style of, of Wander Song. Um, and, and I want to say also just in general about our episodes is that I think oftentimes like the secret games actually give us a little bit more room to express some of those passions. So if there is something. I'm going to remove chicory and I'm going to do it by putting a hash mark through it. Okay. Yeah. I'm a fan of not totally removing games from this list just in case, but. All right. So this next one, I think I put on there and was sort of what I was alluding to earlier. Uh, Let's see. Undertale. Yeah. Undertale. I know no argument from me. I think it should be eligible. Okay. Yeah. I I think it's eligible. I don't think I'm super stoked about playing it, but yeah, I have played through it uh, before. I I played through it, I think the year after it came out and um, I would gladly replay it. And I think it has definitely the popularity, definitely the uh, impact in the indie game space to deserve a featured game spot someday. The next one is Shantae and the Pirate's Curse, which was yours. Yeah. This is a Metroidvania from way forward. I would play a, a Shantae, and I think Shantae and the Pirate's Curse is one that I've heard the most about from that series. Yeah. And there's like five I, or six games in the series. It's generally the most popular, I think. And if just if, if secondhand prices alone or anything to go off of, it's easily okay. the most popular. Yeah, it's either that one or Half Genie Hero, right? Yeah, Half Genie Hero is not as popular. It's not? Okay. Yeah. Okay. It's, you would it's know. more accessible. It's easy to get. Okay. I think it is just maybe closer to the, the bottom uh, edge of like minimum popularity I think a game would need to have to be a featured game. So Fair enough. I, I think it is uh, still eligible, though. I'm good with it. Um, this next one was my idea, and I put it on before it came out. It came out in 2021. I don't think it's had the moment and the impact that it seemed like it might have. So I well, maybe totally, we can give it that moment. Maybe, but it's Sable, and it's the open world adventure game that has a really unique art style where you're flying around on like a on like a desert oh, place. Oh, you know what? Um, I I this looks cool. I yeah. think this looks cool. And, you know, again, we're trying to select games that that are noteworthy, not just because of their popularity, but because of how they look and what they do, how they play, what they introduce to the world of games. So I um, I want to keep this one eligible. You want to keep personally. it eligible? Yeah. Sounds good. Sounds good. We'll keep it eligible. Unsighted is the next one. And this one came out again in 2021. Another one that I think has been really unnoticed compared to what I expected it to do since I it came out or maybe disagree, you disagree. entirely really? yeah okay, okay. I, it's getting like best metroidvanias from a lot of popular uh game journalism sites um it's showing up in most top tens from a lot of those same sites as well okay uh, and I kind of wanted to get to it before it got that popular but uh sure. it's doing very well I think and I, this is this is what I'm holding uh Emily is away hostage for. I feel very strongly about Unsighted. I'm fine with Unsighted because it's a game I would I would play and it looks interesting. Um, the only thing is like, you know, it doesn't seem like it has a ton of 
reviews on Steam. Like it only has a few hundred. I don't think it's it's not one of those games that has and maybe never will like puncture into those mainstream people that give indies a try, I think is the thing. For what it does, you've talked about like some of the doesn't it have kind of a time element to it? Yeah, there's a time element to it. You can turn that off. Um, it is an option to turn that off to make the game a little bit easier. It certainly represents an artistic direction that's unlike other games so far mm-hmm. in our queue. Um, I'm fine with it. I'm fine with it. You've sold me. Okay. I was like mostly sold already, but I now you like pushed me further that direction. Uh, the next one is Spiritfarer. And I think I, I think it's worthy of relevance. Um, but I would also be okay with this one being a secret game. It's also a longer one and I am less likely to really push for those, but I do think, uh, it is worthy of being one, but I'd be okay with it if it wasn't. I mean, this was my entry. Was it? Yeah. Oh, so I assumed it was me because I was like really excited to get the physical. I think we were both talking about it at the same time, but I think I actually typed it in here. Okay. I think it's um, got the notoriety. I think it's relevant. Lots of people talk about it. It's in the conversation, in the indie game space. I think it's a great candidate. Okay. For being considered. Cool. Um, The next one is, I think, I don't know how to pronounce it, but Tunchy? Yeah, I I would have said Tunch, but um, I think I put this in there Mostly because I thought that we would both like it and I didn't want to forget about it. Um, I don't know that it necessarily like raises to the popularity level of needing to be um, a featured review. But okay. I, I wanted it to be on there for the purpose of like giving us both a chance to play it. Oh, whoops. <laughs> Sorry about that. There's our unprofessionalism at work. <laughs> so I'm... I don't know what this is still, I guess. It's like kind of hack and slash. Yeah. Okay. I think maybe I put it on there for the characters. I, I don't know. I put it on there just because I didn't want to forget it mostly. But. Sure. And it's got like these moments where you're in dialogue and you see the character. It looks kind of almost like Hades-like where you see the characters pop up on screen and yeah. you see like larger illustrations of them. Um, I'll be honest. I don't think this looks like featured game material cool. to me. All right. I don't think you have to worry about me picking this as a secret game too. I would say reserve this as a potential secret game for yourself. Got it. Let's do that. All the games we've mentioned so far, the only ones we're taking out are Chicory, A Colorful Tale, and Tunch or Tunchy or Tunch. And and for the record, if any of those devs happen to be listening, we're still probably going to play these. And like yeah. I said oh, yeah, a little like bit I'm, ago, like secret games really give us a lot of room to really explore explore a lot of passion really interest yeah. us that passion that we're i i find about. my more in-depth thoughts often are in the secret game yeah section like chicory i've been looking forward to playing for so long because of what i've heard people saying about it like i've heard people say that it's in their top whatever like five of 2021 i, I think it does fantastic things from what i've heard um the next one is sh- a short hike this one is one i think neither of us have played but this one has gotten a lot of buzz the past few years. It released on PC first, but it's come to other systems since. And it's kind of a peaceful game where you're exploring a, a mountainside. It's kind of a Zelda-like from what I've heard. There's a lot of exploration and relaxation and adventure. 
Woods. Are you looking it up right now? A short hike? Uh, no, I remember liking that one. I'm looking up one that's coming up in a little bit. Okay. Uh, this was my idea. So any... No, I, I think we should I think we should okay. play it. Next one is Solar Ash. I think it's a yes from both of us. Okay. I think that was yours. Cool. Good. I think that Happy was yours. about it. Um you entered that one on the list. Right? Of course I did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that one just came out. Looking forward to that. That's the follow-up uh from Heart Machine to uh uh <laughs> Hyperlight Drifter. I'm losing my mind. We've been recording this way too long. Let's see. The next one is yours. It's Mind Seas. Yeah. Tell um, me about Mind Seas. I know nothing about it. I know very little about it myself, and that's what I'm looking up right now, trying to remind myself. I think it's one of those ones that I put on there because I didn't want to forget it uh, and maybe give you the chance to look at it as well. Um, but I, I say, you know, cut it. It's a secret game. I just don't want to forget it. Sure. Yeah, let's cut it because it doesn't quite look like it's at the level of some of these other games. So I'm going to... Uh, it's omitted. Let's see. The next one is Unpacking. This is kind of an indie darling from 2021 yet again. And this is um, about uh, organizing people's lives by seeing the objects in their living spaces, I guess, and uh, placing things according to what makes sense in your head, I guess. That's that's what I've gotten from this game. I haven't played it. Um, very highly reviewed. Highly recognized in the indie space. What do you think? Uh, I want it, and I kind of want to play it for season two. All right, jump in the gun. I, I love it. I, I I think this would fit no, I, in nicely. Okay, let's keep it, and let's consider it for season two in a second. We're almost done with our list. Two more: Sayonara Wild Hearts, which is an action and music game. I think we both want. Yeah, this one. I think I'm down for pretty much anything that comes from um, Annapurna. So. And then the last one is Oxen Free, which I have played before. You've I seen, haven't played it, but uh, you've seen playthroughs though, right? Uh, yeah, or you know about it. And I was I was always interested in it. Okay, so let's keep that one as eligible. Yep. And then what is this Out Buddies director's cut? That's what just that? a, another game that I I kind of want to play with you, um, but it's another one I just don't want to forget. I don't I don't think it should be a. Oh, okay. Got maybe it. if we want to do oh, like it a looks like zeo drifter yeah have you maybe zeo drifter? i have yeah maybe if we want to do another episode where because it's a co-op game oh uh, okay so a maybe game, if, a episode where it's both of our secret games that'd be weird no <laughs> well um maybe we can like do a bonus yeah of some kind yeah maybe we can do a bonus episode where we do like a couple of co-op games that have been uh collecting dust on the side that we haven't gotten to <laughs> there's not many of those these days but yeah i have a few ideas for those actually okay that, uh, i could throw by you at another time all right so the ones that we are omitting from our queue chicory a colorful tale tunch mind seas and out buddies director's cut which wasn't really a serious entry to begin with so i'm going to start building our season two order okay we have hollow knight beginning yep the season somewhere we need to put momodora reverie under the moonlight which we um, had to hold off from doing on season one. So I, I want to make sure we get to that one. Yes. Well, they're both Metroidvania to a degree, Hollow Knight more so than Momodora. Yes. Hollow Knight's a Metroidvania, and it's also kind of, it's difficult. It's a difficult kind of like platformer action game. Yep. And then Momodora, I get the sense, is a shorter experience. Shorter. It's also surprisingly difficult. Oh, okay. Gotcha. So I would not want to play those in close proximity. I think I think we should consider Momodora for a mid-season 
um, similar maybe to where we even initially planned for in season one. Okay. So in season one, we would have played it in episode seven. Yeah. So we do you want to just like arbitrarily put it at seven for now? Sure. So Momodora, Reverie Under the Moonlight is our seventh game, semi-arbitrarily. Hollow Knight, our first game. Now, I would say we already have two Metroidvania-style games. Metroidvanias are really common, mm-hmm. um, so there's just more of them, but maybe try and only do one more? If any. If we do more, just only keep it to one. Yeah. Okay. So now we're building the season two list and we're also strategically planning the order in a way that makes sense. We need to find a good variety of games. We also need to structure them in a way where we're not playing the same kind of game three episodes in a row. You know, we need to mix it up. We also need to consider like longer games and shorter games and making sure that we're not playing long games twice in a row. In the middle, yes, and in the middle of the season. So- all right, now we can kind of do this however you want, I think, because this is what I had the least amount of planning for, if you can believe it. <laughs> um, okay, so maybe what we can do is, like, maybe you mention a game that you're super excited about or maybe that you think fits in for season two. Yeah, something that's adding something that isn't in the list already. Right, maybe yeah, okay. something that we neither of us have played recently. Okay, well, before we do that... What about putting in unpacking? I want to put in unpacking. Let's put in unpacking since you were like saying that's a good season two one already. So we'll put unpacking. I kind of want to put that at like episode nine to give us like a short little, oh okay, a, a shorter snack before um, maybe a potentially a longer game at episode 10. Okay. Unpacking is in the list at nine. I would be it open is. to like moving that to another place, but that's that's where my head is with that. Sure thing. So we've got Hollow Knight on uh, episode one. We've got Momodora on episode seven. Unpacking on episode nine. We should mention that Momodora is part of a series, and it's actually the fourth game in its series, but it's kind of a prequel mm-hmm. to the other games. So and it's I don't a know. Great, it's a great jumping on point, yeah. I think. For I the, don't know anything about any of the other yeah. Momodora games, and there's even one coming up. At there the time is. of this recording. Yeah, I think it's a sequel to Reverie, yeah. right? All right, so I'll throw out a game now. We've got two Metroidvanias. We've got kind of a s- organization sim is what I've put down <laughs> as the the genre for unpacking. Put, let me look up unpacking one more time on Steam and see like what people... Story rich, relaxing, pixel graphics. Cute Story too. rich, okay. Yeah, I guess because you're learning about the people you're unpacking for. Hmm. So that might have some pleasant surprises. So I want to pick something that's kind of different. I could go with an RPG. I could go with an adventure game. I'm going to pick a kind of a shorter experience. Okay. I'm going to pick What Remains of Edith Finch. Cool. I I am into that. I'm feeling that probably at like a, like an episode two, maybe like a Night in the Woods sort of okay. um, parallel here. What Remains of Edith Finch, which is an adventure. It is at... Number two, throw out a game. What do you think? Um, here's the thing. Regardless of whether or not it's in season two, I am going to play Unsighted uh, during our season break. Oh. So I would be willing to throw that out there for season two, personally. Okay. Um, but if we're, if we're holding off to make sure we don't overload with Metroidvanias, um, actually, let me, I'm going to say Doki Doki. 
I think I kind of want changing from. Yeah, I'm gonna. I still kind of want to try and get it in there for season two, but I'm gonna say Doki Doki. Yeah, I, Doki Doki is a great choice. I wanted Doki Doki for season two. Actually, that might have been my next pick. I don't know where to put that yet, but I think you could probably beat it in like two sit downs. Um, I'm I'm guessing like six or seven hours, maybe tops. How long is Doki Doki Literature Club plus completionists? 15 hours main story, four and a half hours. Yeah. Okay. I think we could put it anywhere. Yeah. We could put it anywhere. Maybe just put it underneath the list until we figure out like where some of our longer games are. Okay. Yep. Uh, what do I need to throw out now? Um, oh, I, I need to be looking at the stuff that's also previously vetted. I yes. kind of, it kind of was off to the side there for yes. a second. Yes. Um, cause we don't have any platformer action going on. I'm going to throw out Celeste. Cool. I'm going to throw Celeste out there. All right. I, um, well, I could throw out Celeste or Shovel Knight. I feel the same about both as far as like excitement. <laughs> you know what I mean? If I, I'm more excited to play Celeste cause I haven't done it yet okay um i don't want to play after momodora why not because momodora is hard and celeste is hard okay celeste has like an assist mode that helps you out and like i don't know i think you're talented at at platformers in the same way i am and i i I did play like an hour of it so like yeah i mean i did okay do you want to put it in the middle like yeah let's put it in the middle celeste at five yeah Okay. All right. Throw one out. Yep. Um, Can I put Doki Doki Literature Literature Club Plus? I would. I I could put that on either side. Yeah, that'd be fine. Either side of Celeste. Yep. Let's do it at. um, Let's do it at four. Okay, man. Let's do it at four. Um. Well, then, if I may, at six, so that's a little bit further away from Edith Finch, which I feel is like. Pr- probably pretty story driven. Um, I kind of want to play twelve minutes for season two. Okay, uh, twelve so minutes. I I would like to put that at like six or eight. How long to beat twelve minutes? Doesn't take twelve minutes. I know that. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna guess seven hours, seven or eight hours. Completionist is seven and a half hours. Oh, even main shorter. story is four hours. Okay, so where do you want that? Either side of Celeste, even after Momodora would be fine. 12 minutes at number eight. I'm going to do that. Cool. Dig it. I'm also noting down the um, genres next to all these picks so that we can kind of just see a snapshot of what we're getting as we go. Yeah. So right now let's recap. We've got first episode hollow Knight, which is a Metroidvania. We've got what remains of Edith Finch, which is a shorter adventure game for number two. Uh, Number three is blank. Number four is Doki Doki Literature Club Plus, which is a uh, kind of a visual novel romance, uh, also slash horror game. (laughs) Um, Number five is Celeste, which is a platformer. Number six is Empty. Number seven is Momodora, Reverie Under the Moonlight, which is another Metroidvania. Number eight is 12 Minutes, which is a mystery puzzle game. Number nine is Unpacking, which is an organization sim. Number 10 is blank. So we need to fill in three blanks. This is happening... Much faster than I expected, actually. <laughs> well, the first part took a while. But... It did, it did, it did. Is it my turn? It is your turn. Something? I think we need to be thinking about a longer-ish one, at Longer least, one. for season t- for episode 10. Let me look something up before I speak too soon. Okay. I'm looking up something on how long to beat. Oh, dear. 
That's very long. <laughs> How do you feel about something that takes 21 hours for the main story? That's a little bit more than Outer Wilds said it was, uh, which was our episode 10. We also talked uh, in between episodes about maybe giving ourselves an extra week right. for episode 10 so that we could potentially play an even longer one. And let me look up one more thing about it. Okay. I'm going to pick, because we don't have RPG action going on, I'm going to pick, what do you think about Disco Elysium? Okay. Let's give it a shot. Okay. I, I feel, but I think game. I said it earlier, it, it's Outer Wilds in my head already. Disco Elysium could be a really good, like, last one, because we've got unpacking before. we got 12 minutes and unpacking, two shorter experiences, the two episodes before it. But the question also is, like, is that a good season closer? I, you know, like, like I said, it's, it doesn't have to poetically fit as a season closer, know, you know, but, but in my head, it's already Outer Wilds. I, among other than like the obvious, you know, Shovel Knights and, and, um, like Doki Dokis, I feel like it's super popular in a different way okay. than like some of these other ones. Okay. So you're good at, with that at 10? Yeah. Okay. I think that makes sense. I think we're building it in a way where we could even start tackling it, you know, the, few weeks before that two week window of yeah. re- recording for and I I had a little bit of that with Outer Wilds and it helped yeah, a okay. lot. So now we have two more slots to fill. We've got Hollow Knight for episode one, what remains of Edith Finch for episode two. Number three we need to fill in. Number four, Doki Doki Literature Club. Number five, Celeste. Number six, blank. Number seven, Momodora. Number eight, twelve minutes. Number nine, unpacking. Number ten, Disco Elysium. Um okay, so we've got a lot of these, a lot of these are pretty short. So let's see if I can get a mid-range one. Yeah, a mid-range one would be good. Um, can you look up Death Store? I was just doing that. I was just, <laughs> I was typing that in the moment you said that. Death Store, I think, is that mid-range. It is an eight and a half hour main story. It's a 14 and a half hour completionist, and it's an action adventure game. Yeah. You know, it's kind of straddling this... Uh, and is kind that, of genre that other games aren't really doing. Is that on PS4, right? It's on PS4 now? It is. Okay. Let me double check that for you. Death's Door PS4. Death's Door is on PlayStation 4, according okay. to this Google search. It's not yeah. coming out on physical on PS4, but... Um, you have to buy the digital. Yeah. I'll, I'll buy the physical Join PS5. Me. Join <laughs> me. Um, yeah, yeah, buy the physical on PS5. That'd be good. Yeah. Uh, so now where does that go? Um, I, I think I wanted at three, actually. Yeah, I think that's a great choice because after Celeste, I think you'd have a mid-range game followed by a mid-range game. I think it'd be nice having a shorter, you know, What Remains of Edith Finch and then a mid-range. Yeah. Cool. Death's Door. I think I already know what my secret game for that episode is, too. Oh, cool. Yeah. What is it? I'm not Wadham? telling you. <laughs> right. uh, no, Wadham's for unpacking. Uh, okay. Is it my turn to pick one? Do yeah, I, I guess one? you get the last one. Sounds good. Um, I don't know if I want to go with a Metroidvania yeah. disco. I don't know if I want to. I kind of want to pick something that we previously vetted, like one of those seven okay. that we were talking about at the start, but we've already got from that list, Hollow Knight, Momodora. Um, Whether or not it Celeste was- I mean- And Death's Door. We've got four of the seven. Yeah, that's so I much. don't think Chris Tales is a good choice. Chris Tales a is, a, is a either- Opener or closer? I don't think Return of the Oprah Din is a good choice because we've got other adventure-y, puzzle-y games. Okay. 
it's still very unique looking though. Yeah. Um, and then Kentucky Route Zero seems like an adventure game in the way that maybe Disco Elysium is kind of touching. And uh, I don't know. I think if you if you chose Kentucky Route, I think it's far enough away from Disco Elysium that that's not a big conflict. How long is Kentucky Route Zero? Oh no, it's splitting up all the chapters, all the acts. Oh, gross. Uh, TV edition? Does it... Yeah, do that. Okay, it's just saying like single player eight and a half hours to 13 and a half hours, but then it breaks it down into act one, one hour, act two, one hour, act three, two hours. That's it's so doing weird, that. why? Yeah, I don't know, it's weird. Okay, here we go. Single player, eight and a half, completionist, 14 and a half. Okay, I think that's... I think that's reasonable based on how many hours we already have. I think that would be really good squeezed between a platformer and a Metroidvania. Okay. Are you good with that? I'm good with that if you're good with that. You yeah. you you, ju- you did jump straight to that like seven previously vetted, so I want to make sure you don't miss anything that you're forgetting that you're excited about. But I think um, 12 Minutes is a mystery puzzle game in the way that like Return of the Oberdin is also kind of an adventure a mystery puzzle game. Okay. So, and those would be in close proximity, roughly. Okay. So I that's the only thing keeping me from picking Oberdin. Okay. But man, I, I'm excited about playing that one one day. I haven't bought it yet, too. So whereas I have bought Kentucky Route. Okay. So that's another That's another incentive. Me. Yeah, let's do Kentucky Route. Okay. How many of these? And I have two and one, a third one is easily accessible. I have Hollow Knight. I have What Remains. I don't have Death's Door. I think I have Doki Doki. I have Celeste. I have Kentucky. I have Momodora. I don't have 12 Minutes. I don't have Unpacking. And I don't think I have Disco Elysium. So I have roughly half. Most of these, over half of these, have physical copies too. So that's interesting at least. And just a clarification thing. We're doing Kentucky Route Zero TV edition. Okay. Which is the console version, right? It's right. not the it's not I the guess. PC version. I don't so know. we'll both do like the PlayStation version, right? Yeah. Um, the one thing that we're not representing in this list is like a roguelike. And I guess the only thing we have to choose <laughs> from there is a binding of an Isaac, which I'm fine with skipping that. Yeah. Since it's not our favorite genre to begin with. Like we did Hades, which I loved, but um I think we still have a good mix here i don't see anything on here that i would like to replace if we i guess if we did maybe swap it out for celeste but i don't want to swap it out for celeste you know so all right here's our order episode one hollow knight which is a metroidvania episode two what remains of edith finch an adventure game episode three death's door an action adventure Episode four, Doki Doki Literature Club Plus, a horror slash romance slash visual novel. Celeste at number five, which is a platformer. Kentucky Route Zero TV edition, which is an adventure game for episode six. Episode seven, Momodora Reverie Under the Moonlight, which is a Metroidvania. Episode eight, 12 Minutes, which is a mystery puzzle game. Episode nine is Unpacking, which is an organization sim. And episode 10 is Disco Elysium, an RPG. I think that's a great lineup. I think that looks like a good that is season so good. too. Yes, that looks so great. I am jazzed. Yeah. I I love this. I wouldn't change anything here. I think we can end it there. Cool. That will finally 
bring us to the end <laughs> of our episode and season wow. of Underplayed. Congratulations. Congratulations to you. Thank you so much for joining me on it, this journey. Great pleasure. Yes, I look forward to season two very much. You can find more of our episodes at kzum.org slash underplayed. Our music was composed by Jack Rodenberg. Our art comes from Onimochi. My name's Bo Po. You can find me on Twitter at Bo Po. That's B-O underscore P-O. And you can catch me catching up on all these trophies I missed this season on Twitch as Disco Cola and on Twitter. Next season, we'll open with two secret games. And our first featured review will cover Hollow Knight, a Metroidvania developed by Team Cherry. Until then, everyone, you keep on playing.